information on it, but let me say this. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is no other way to eternal life. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way. And there are no exceptions. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way to God, the only way to heaven, is through the sacrifice of his only begotten son on that cross by faith. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't pay for it. You can't be nice enough. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. It's by faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. And if you have not made that choice, it's the most important choice you'll ever make in your life. That choice is the difference between heaven and hell. So I challenge you, if you have not made that choice, the book of Corinthians says that, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. There is no time like the present. So I encourage you, make that choice today. Make Jesus your savior today. Genesis chapter 13. If you would take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 13. And let's start reading in verse number one. And I wanna look at a man today, a man by the name of Lot. Genesis chapter 13, verse one. The Bible says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land, then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren, we're family. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, which the land of e like, at, like the land of Egypt, that when thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from another. Notice verse 12. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. I've titled my message, and I'd like to ask you this question, where are your feet headed? Where are your feet headed? The Bible tells us here in verse 12 that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. I, I, I've asked several men, and I, I've played enough sports to kind of get this, but you know what's amazing? No matter really what sport you play, it is amazing how, much footwork, how important footwork is. 
Um, I asked I asked Brother uh, Gardner about soccer, and he said, "Well, duh, Pastor West, soccer's like a foot game. I mean, the world calls it football, except for Americans. But anyway, it, it is with your feet. Footwork is of utmost importance. You better have some footwork." Um, if you play basketball, you have to have good footwork to be able to pivot and move and play defense and different things. I mean, footwork is important. If you play, uh, I'm sure footwork is important in football. Um, footwork is important. What's really interesting to me, brother, the Goulds aren't here today. At least I didn't see them. But um, I asked brother Gould last week about how important the feet are when riding a horse. And he said, it is most, it's, he said, it's the most important. He said, that's where it all starts. He said, riding a horse starts in your feet. He said, a lot of people think that it's your hands. You hold the reins and you control it. But he said, you don't control that horse with your hands. He said, it starts in your feet. And he began to explain to me, and I, I've ridden horses very little in my life. And um, I don't know a whole lot. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know everything that brother Guy knows. But it was amazing to listen to him talk about controlling and riding a horse with just his feet. It was amazing, but it's amazing how important footwork is. Our feet are very important. I'm sure Brother Chad, his feet are very important when he's climbing a tree and he's chopping a tree down, but our feet matter. And so I ask you this morning, where are your feet headed? Where are they pointing? What direction are they headed in? Lot chose a direction. That was not good. Let me give you a little background about Lot. Lot started with his tent pointed toward Sodom and Gomorrah, but in chapter 13, verse 13, I'm sorry, in chapter 19, verse 1, he ends up sitting in the gate. Sitting in the gate was a place of prominence. It was a position of authority. He was one of the commissioners, one of the county commissioners. He was one of the representatives. He was a government official sitting in the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. In chapter 19, verses 6 through 8, the two angels have come into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah to save Lot and his family. And if you remember the story, the men of the city come and they pound on Lot's door. And they say they want those angels to come out and they want to know them. If you know anything about your Bible in the Old Testament, that word know means to sexually know them. They wanted to do some unspeakable things to these men. And Lot comes out and he says, no, 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 not so, not so. These guys have come into my house. They're my guests. You can't do that. So what does Lot say? He says, here, take my daughters. What, Lot? What did you just say? Take my daughters? I mean, how crazy is that logic and that reasoning? If you have a daughter here this morning, if some random person pounded on your door and said, hey, I want to spend some time with your daughter. Shh, shh, really? I don't think so. I don't think so. But Lot says here, I mean, what? Lot, are you crazy? In chapter 19, verse 26, they've left the city and the angels told them, don't look back. Keep going, get out of here, save yourselves, don't look back or you'll turn into a pillar of salt. What did Lot's wife do? She turned back, she turned into a pillar of salt. You see, Sodom and Gomorrah had such a grip on her that she looked back. 
In chapter 19, verse 36, Lot and his two daughters are hiding out in a cave, living life. And his two daughters have a bright idea. They say, hey, we don't have anybody to marry and to give us children. Let's get our dad drunk and we'll go lay with our dad. And he'll give us children. Incest. So in chapter 19, verse 36, they get their father drunk and those two daughters go and lie with their father and commit incest. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you could take a survey in Morgan County of all the unsaved people and just ask people what they think about that and they'd be like, that's crazy, that's disgusting, no way. I mean, the unsaved world, I mean, the world knows that that's unacceptable. Yet here, Lot's two daughters commit incest with their father. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses six through eight. We're not gonna go there just for time because I need to keep moving here, but in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses six through eight, it talks about how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but he saved Lot and his family. And there it says that Lot vexed his soul day after day. Ladies and gentlemen, that word vexed literally means to be worn down with hard work or with toil. You see, Lot went into Sodom and Gomorrah. And at first, it was, no, we're gonna be different. We're gonna stand up. We're gonna be good. We're gonna do right. It's gonna be great. And we're, man, we're gonna be different. We're gonna be the exception. But day after day, that resolve dwindled. And the resolve became less and less until Lot and his family, they were just like everybody else. Why? Because Lot pointed his feet towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So my question to you this morning is this, where are your feet pointed? I wanna look at some things that Lot did. I wanna look at some things out of chapter 13, and I wanna challenge our thoughts this morning about where are our our feet headed? Where are our feet headed? The first thing I want you to think about is this, the strife of life. The strife of life. If you look at verse 13, in chapter 13 and verse number eight, it says, and Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife. In verse seven, it says, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. So both of these men are wealthy men and they have a lot of stuff. They have a lot of herds and they have tents and they have servants and they have people. And, and so they're, they're trying to occupy the same piece of land, but Lot's herdmen or herdsmen are out here with, with the sheep and, you know, and they're trying to feed their sheep. But then here come Abram's and they're like, oh man, we're running out of grass. They got grass. And so they keep running into each other. And, and so these herdmen, maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're hitting each other with their shepherd staff crooked things, you know, and they're like, I don't know what they're doing, but there's definitely some conflict. They're butting heads. And you know, strife, conflict is a part of life. It is a part of life. Um, I don't care how nice you are, I don't care how passive you are, but conflict happens. All of us have conflict. We have conflict with our spouses. I know, not you guys, not you guys. I mean, all those pious faces, you guys, man, maybe you guys could give me some marital tips when we get done here, but, um, um, but you know what? Sometimes we have, we have strife, we have conflict with our spouse. Stress. Stress causes a lot of conflict. We get edgy. 
things go kind of crazy at work. We get edgy and we come home, we're stressed out, so we bite somebody's head off or something just happens. Stress. Not enough sleep. Stubborn. How many of you are stubborn? Yeah, you all raise your hands. Yeah, me too. Man, stubbornness does not help, does it? Man, my wife is stubborn. I'm probably more stubborn. I am, I'm stubborn. Selfishness. Success creates conflict. How about security or insecurity? Doesn't that create conflict? Conflict at work, conflict at home, conflict with your neighbors, whatever it might be. How about stuff? Conflict, man. Man, how many of you go shopping on Black Friday? Anybody go shopping on Black Friday? Anybody? Wow, it's like three people. Man, any of you stay up all night and get in line? You know, it's not as bad. You know, when that all first happened, it was insane. Now you can buy like 90% of it online. You know, you're just like, done. I'm not cold, I'm not outside, I'm not dealing with stupid people. That's another thing that causes conflict, stupid people. Don't they? Stupid drivers, stupid drivers. I don't know why, but it seems like every time I'm on my way to church or I'm on my way home from church, there's nobody behind me for miles, and yet some trucker or somebody wants to pull right out in front of me and take like three miles to get up to speed. And I just, man. But conflict, here, Lot and Abram, they had conflict, they had strife. You have strife, you have conflict in your life. You have conflict in your life. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says this, only by pride cometh contention. You realize when you have conflicts, it's because of pride. Whether it's your spouse, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, whatever it is, it's pride. I'm not wrong, you're wrong. I don't wanna be wrong, you need to be wrong. I don't wanna apologize, you need to apologize. I, 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 it's pride. It's pride. But the conflicts, the strifes of life, the strife of life, strife is a real thing. We have to deal with strife. So Lot and Abraham had this strife, and this strife affected Lot's choice. He got into a position where he had to choose because of conflict. And you know what? Conflict makes you make a choice. Conflict forces us to make a choice. And Lot had to make a choice. But the second thing, not only the strife of life, but notice this, the sights of life. Notice what it says in verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. See, not only do we have to contend with the strife of life, but we also contend with the sights of life. These two things. Our eyes, our eyes. You know, whether we like it or not, our eyes affect us. Jesus said that his eye had affected his heart. His eye had affected his heart. Our eyes affect us. Why do you think you keep getting all those advertisements on Facebook? Because your eye affects. They want you to see it. They want you to buy it. They want you to spend your money. I had, we have a good friend, and he always says this. If I bought every good deal, I wouldn't have any money. And there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. But our eyes affect us. And here Lot lifts up his eyes, and he looks. 
And he looks. Notice what it says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So a few things I want you to think about about this site, these sites of life. Number one, it's a choice to look. It says he lifted up his eyes. It was a choice to look. Not only was it a choice to look, but it was a choice to linger. Notice what it says. It says, he lifted up his eyes and beheld. So he didn't just see it and keep walking. No, he lifted up his eyes, and now he's, now he's analyzing. Now he's picking it apart, and he's saying, well, I, I, I see that little pasture land, and well, I, I see this little area. You've looked at stuff before you've bought it. You've analyzed something before you've bought it. If you've ever bought a piece of land or a home or anything, you've, you've looked at something before you've paid for it. You've inspected it. And that's what Lot does. He inspects it. He inspects it. Let me, let, me, let me throw a verse at you real quick and challenge your thinking about something. 1 John 2.16 says this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. The lust of the eyes. Do you realize you can be tempted through your eyes? Through your eyes. And I know when, when, we, think of, when we think of lust of the eyes, I, I, I would imagine that probably most of us, the first thing we think of is we think of something sexual. We think of um, so, somebody improperly dressed. We think of maybe pornography or whatever it might be. And that's where our brains go. We think, of, we think of lust and we think of with our eyes. And that's what we think of. But ladies and gentlemen, it goes so much further than that. It really does. Because we see stuff and we see things all the time. Things are constantly being flooded, put into our minds through our eyes. It can be a car. It can be a truck. It can be a home. It could be a piece of property. It might be somebody's cow. It could be anything. But we are bombarded through our eyes. Here, Lot is looking out across the plains. And notice what he notices about him. He says, well, it is well watered everywhere. Well, that makes good sense. He has cattle. It's well watered everywhere. In other words, there might be a major river running through there, but then there's little streams and offshoots from that, and it's just watering all these little areas, and it's just plush. It's fertile. It's good for his herds. That makes good sense. I mean, I'd probably put my, my cattle there too. Why not? I mean, there's a lot of food for them. That makes sense. Notice what he says next. Not only that, but he says, um, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like unto the land of Egypt. Now, the garden of the Lord, you remember that, how the dew would come through, and it was fertile. I mean, remember Adam named all the plants and had all those responsibilities, and it had, you had the Tigris River and the Euphrates River, and they're in that delta or that gap between those. I mean, it was very fertile. But then you go into northern Egypt, where the Nile River flows north and empties out into the Mediterranean Sea, and that is, that ground is amazing. It's amazing how fertile it is. I mean, there's just water sprinkled all throughout that delta. And that's where the children of Israel were when they were uh, slaves in Egypt. That's where they raised their cattle. It was very good land. So Lot's looking at this and he's like, man, this is a no-brainer. Look at all this. He's just picking it apart, noticing all the great things. But not only the choice to look and the choice to linger, but notice the charm of lust. 
Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that there is a charm to lust? There's a charm. James chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15, notice what James said. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of everybody else's lust. Is that what it says? No. Every man is drawn away when he is, or every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Do you realize you have a lust that is peculiar to you? Do you realize that? You have a lust that is yours, and Satan knows it. Your flesh knows it, and it knows what button to push. This, these two verses are a lot like fishing. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away. You know, when you throw that bait, that hook, that lure, whatever it is out into that water, Mr. Chad, you fish. Your dad's not here today, so I'll ask you. Do you use different bait for different fish? Different bait for different fish? Man, if you fly fish, those guys are nuts, okay? There's just too much science in that for me. It's too complicated, okay? I already struggle with fishing anyway. I like catching, not fishing. But anyway, um, but you know, you go fly fishing, you gotta know the flies, you gotta know the nymphs, and you gotta know all these things, and you gotta use the right one, and you gotta throw it right. And I'm like, what? How am I supposed to do and know all that? This is like a career. I mean, I don't have time for that. It'd be great if I knew it. I think it'd be a lot of fun. But it's just, it's so much information. But what do you do? You use different lures, different bait, whatever it is, different things for different fish. And so you cast that out there. Why? You're trying to draw that fish away. You're trying to draw that fish away from whatever it is it's doing. You're trying to catch its attention. Well, that's what it says here about us. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust, your own bait. You have your bait. I have my bait. And Satan in our flesh likes to chuck it out there in the water and say, get a whiff of that and suck us in. Then what does it say in verse 15? Then when lust hath conceived. Oh, so we get a whiff of the bait. We see it. It looks yummy. And so we crave it. We lust after it. It bringeth forth sin. Now we've bitten. We've taken the hook. We've taken the bait. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I I love fish in my belly. I like fish. Fish is yummy. I do. Fish is good. If you don't like fish, I'm sorry. I feel bad for you. But you know what? It all, it all started when you were drawn of your own lust. Here, Lot is looking out across this, this land, and he sees the charm. He sees the charm. But ladies and gentlemen, he's missing something. He makes a choice to lose. He makes a choice to look. He makes a choice to linger. He sees the charm of the lust, but he makes a choice to lose. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Before the Lord exceedingly. God looked at, that, at those cities and said, these people are wicked, but they weren't just wicked. They were wicked exceedingly. They abounded in sin and wickedness. It was a lifestyle. It literally oozed from their pores. All they knew was wickedness. And unfortunately, Lot missed that. Lot missed that. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says this, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the reality is this, is your understanding is gonna get you in trouble. My understanding will get me in trouble. Honestly, my understanding might get you in trouble. 
your understanding might get me in trouble. Who knows? But it says lean not. It's literally a crutch. You lean on it. You trust it. It holds you up. It's your strength. It's your confidence. It's everything. Don't lean on your understanding. Why? Because your understanding is faulty. But God's is not. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Did, did Lot acknowledge God? No. Did God offer a sacrifice and say, God, what do you want me to do? No. Lot did what Lot wanted to do. And honestly, ladies and gentlemen, it sent him down a path he would regret. It sent him down a path that would destroy his family. It sent him down a path that would cost him more than he wanted to pay. Because it looked good. Which brings me to my next point. Not only the strife of life and the sights of life, but the selections of life. Verse 11. Then Lot chose. The selections of life. You realize your life is full of choices. So is mine. Every day. You got up this morning. Some of you decided what to put on. For some of you, your wife decided what you were going to put on. But all of you decided to put something on. Hallelujah. But you made a choice. You made a choice to walk out of your house and get in the car. You made a choice to come to church today. You're going to make a choice. Well, maybe some of you have already made a choice, but you will make a choice about lunch. You'll make choices this afternoon, and tomorrow you'll get up and you'll make more choices, and you'll make choice after choice after choice after choice. Our lives are full of choices. The question is this. How much say, how much input does God have in those choices? How much thought does God occupy in those choices? When I was a kid, my, my mom and dad, I grew up in a Christian home, but um, my mom and dad, there were times when it would get so aggravating because my mom and dad would pray about everything. And as a kid, I was just like, dad, just make a decision. I mean, come on, dad, let's just. And so I remember, I remember when, we were, when I was, I don't know, I might've been a fresh, maybe a fresh eighth grade, ninth grade. I don't know what it was. But my parents, we picked up several kids um, for church every Sunday. And we had a small car. Sometimes we'd have to take two cars. So my mom and dad were praying. They wanted a minivan. And man, we were praying for a minivan. And man, it was so cool. We'd go look at minivans. And I hate minivans now. But anyway, um, we had a minivan. I, I don't ever want to go back to minivans. But anyway, um, man, we, we, we'd go look at minivans. And as a kid, you know, it seems like it takes like 44 hours to look at cars. You know, you're walking around the lot. And you're like, can we go? And then, you know, dad's in there talking to the salesman. You're like, dude, we're never going home. Should have brought up a sleeping bag. We're never going home. I mean, it just feels like an eternity. But finally, finally, my mom and dad made a decision. Ford Aerostar. Oh, yeah. It was sweet. Man, had the little radio controls in the back. All the bench seats laid down like into one giant bed. It was the, it was the sweetest ride ever. Not really. But it was cool then. It was cool then. And man, but you know what? My dad prayed. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And man, I just, and I did. I asked my dad, I was like, Dad, it's just a van. Why can't we just buy a van? Why does it matter? Why do we gotta spend all this time? Why can't we just buy a van? You know what my dad wanted? My dad wanted God involved in his choice. How much time does God, or how much influence does God have in your choices? 
What, what influenced your choices? Finances? Do finances matter? How about how feasible it is or if it makes sense? If you can work out the numbers and make it all jive and make it happen, does that help you make your decision? How about friends? Well, what do my friends think? You know, well, he has this. What does he say about it? And man, should I get one? And well, they got one. We need one. I mean, friends, do they in fact impact it? How about your feelings? Well, you know, this just feels right. It feels like it'd be a good decision. What influences your decision-making? How do you make your decisions? I, I, I've recently had a conversation with my oldest son because he wants to buy a pair of shoes. And I'm not against shoes. I'm not against cool shoes. I like cool shoes. I don't always have the money to buy the shoes I want, but I like shoes. But my son's been wanting to buy a pair of shoes. So he's been praying about it and praying some different things. And I asked him this, I asked him this yesterday. I told him, I said, if you can honestly say to yourself that your motive for wanting those shoes is not so that everybody at church or wherever else will think you're cool because you have those cool shoes, I'm fine with you getting those shoes. But I told him, don't go chasing everybody else's approval. You don't have time and you don't have the money for that. You don't have it. Don't waste your life trying to chase everybody else's approval. When I was in like fourth grade, you guys remember back in the 80s when it was cool to cuff and roll your pants up like you'd tight roll them like this? You remember when that was cool? It's kind of come back, but you remember that? Remember when I was a kid, I had rolled up my pants, got them all, got them all like perfect, you know, like situated and everything. Come walking in the kitchen to eat breakfast and my dad looked at me and he's like, what's that? And I was like, what? He said, what's that? I said, what do you mean? What? Uh, you, know, you know how kids are, right? We play dumb. We're like, what do you mean, Dad? I mean, I don't really know what you're talking about. And, and my dad's like, what's with your pants? And I said, well, I just rolled them up. And he said, unroll your pants. I was like, what? So I unrolled my pants. And my dad was like, you will not roll your pants. You know what my dad taught me? He was like, you're not going to be like everybody else. Just because everybody and their mom thinks it's cool doesn't mean it's cool. And he didn't want me to waste my time and my energy chasing after everybody else. And I was scared enough of my dad not to go to, to a school and cuff him. I was scared enough of my dad to know, uh-uh, dad shows up at school in my pants, uh-uh, busted. It's over, man. It's not going to be pretty. So I didn't even play with it. I just, I just never rolled up my pants. And I don't want my kids to chase that either. I don't want them to waste their time or their life or their, their money on everybody else and what everybody else thinks. Because it's a waste. And ladies and gentlemen, a lot of times we make choices improperly. Let me give you three things real quick to help you make choices. Number one, faith. Romans chapter 117 says, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11 verse six says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith, faith. Put your faith in God, trust him, talk to him, ask him. Not only faith, but secondly, follow God's word. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Saturate your life with God's word and let that influence your choices. Let that influence your decisions. Let that influence the way you think. But not only faith and follow God's word, but the last thing, forsake your way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Faith, follow God's word and forsake your way. Say no to yourself and yes to God. Let those three things, they're very simple. There really isn't anything too profound there. It's just faith, follow God's word and forsake your way. But how often do we actually do that? Lot didn't do that. Lot didn't let God influence his decision. So you have the strifes of life. You have the, uh, the sights of life. You have the selections of life. The fourth thing, the separations of life. Notice what happens here in verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, when? After that Lot was separated from him. You realize separation is a part of life. A lot of you in here have made choices to separate from certain things. If you've ever dieted so that you can lose weight, you've separated from something, right? Um, I would imagine that some of you in here who exercise or work out, or even some of you in here today, when you were younger and you played sports, there were probably times when you told yourself no about something so that you could be at peak performance so you could do the best you could. When I was in high school, our basketball coach had a thing, no soda all season. Couldn't have soda. And man, if, you, if he caught you with a soda, a pop, a Dr. Pepper, whatever, a Coke, a Pepsi, whatever you like to call it, I don't know. But anyway, if he caught you with one, all, we, all the team did was run the whole practice. It could be one guy. And he'd punish the whole team. We'd run all practice. And all everybody wanted to do was kill that one idiot who drank a soda and got caught. You know, I was like, dude, you had to do that at school. You know, I mean, come on, grow a brain, man. But you know what? That, that was just a rule that our coach had. So you didn't drink soda all season. Man, after the season, that first soda, oh, you talk about burn. Woo, man, that hurt. But boy, we'd go right back to it though, man. Go get me a Dr. Pepper. But, um, but you know what? We tell ourselves no. Those of you who have coached before, you've probably told your players, no, you cannot have this, you cannot have that. Or maybe you wrestlers to drop do whatever you need to do. You got to say no to that or to put on weight or I don't know how you guys work it. But I'm sure a lot of you have said no to yourself about something. The separations of life are a reality. Notice this, God did not bless or help or uh, talk to Abram until Lot was gone. And listen, the same is going to be true in your life. There are going to be things in your life that are going to hinder God from working in your life. And there are things you're going to have to get out of your life. There are going to have to be people you're going to have to get out of your life. There's going to be maybe a TV show, a movie, a habit, a hobby, whatever it is that you're going to have to say, no, that does not help me in my relationship with God. You need to go away. Separations of life. They're a reality. So uh, we looked at this verse in Sunday school this morning, but I think it's very, very helpful. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one. So if you have your Bible, go to Hebrews 12, look at verse number one. I would encourage you to highlight, to uh, underline, to put a mark next in your Bible so you remember this verse. But notice what it says. He says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And notice this, he uses a sports illustration. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, Number one, do you realize God has a race set before each and every one of you that he wants you 
to run. Jesus, in the Gospels, called it your cross. He has a cross for you to bear. Here, the writer of Hebrews says he has a race for you to run. But here's the problem. A lot of times, we try to run the race that God has for us with weights on our ankles or around our waist or on our shoulders, or we try to run God's race with sin in our life, and the truth is, is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And here, the writer of Hebrews says to lay aside those weights. We talked about this in Sunday school, but you know, when, when you were younger or whatever, or maybe you still do, but... Um, you work out and you work out with weights or you do different things. Like, you know, you ever seen those guys on the football field with the parachute behind them and they're running, you know, and they got the parachute, the wind resistance, or maybe they're dragging a tire or whatever it is. Why? It builds resistance. But you don't see a running back out there in the backfield waiting for the ball to get snapped and he's got the parachute on or a tire's tied to his waist and behind him. Like, let's do this, man. I know I can do it. He gets the ball, dragging through that tire down the field. You know, you don't see that. Say, well, that would be stupid. I'm not trying to call anybody stupid, but sometimes we try to live our Christian life that way. We got a lot of tires tied to our waist that hold us back and keeping us from being what God wants us to be. And God says, you need to cut that rope, get rid of the tire, and run the race. Run the race. Here, Abram had to get rid of Lot. He had to get rid of Lot so that God could do something in his life. And God is about to do something amazing in his life. Notice what he does. Go back to chapter 13. So, verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up, up now thine eyes. Whoa. Did you just get the contrast? What did Lot do with his eyes? Do you remember? In verse 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes. In verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. You know what the difference is? Lot, God. It wasn't Lot and Abraham. It was Lot, and then it was God. God told Abram to lift up his eyes. You know what I have found in my life? When I'm willing to say no to Wes and yes to God, not always, but a lot of times, God says, okay, here you go. And I'm kind of like, what? Really? And it's amazing how God gives you the desires of your heart when you put him first. It really is. Um, I, I like photography. And... Um, Honestly, I really don't do quite as much as I used to, but I really do. I enjoy it a lot. Several years ago, um, I was planning a trip for me and my brother. My brother and I were going to kind of do a men's type trip thing and just kind of go camping, and we were going to rent a Jeep, and we were looking at coming to Colorado. And I was looking at Durango, Silverton, San Juan Mountains, that whole corner down there. And man, we were just going to go off-road, get to 14,000 or 12,000, however high we could go, camp every night, eat out, sit under the stars, and we were just going to get in the middle of nowhere. Well, I didn't realize just how much snow Colorado got. So our plans to go like end of May, beginning of June just kind of fell through. So we went to Moab, Utah, which was awesome. So we rented a Jeep for three, four days there in Moab, and man, we just hit trails, camped, and we just off-road trails, and several times I thought we were going to die, but it was awesome. 
But um, man, we had so much fun. When I, was, when I was researching or trying to figure out what we were gonna do, I was looking at Colorado and I saw this place called the Crystal Mill in Colorado. And if you've never seen it, it's the Crystal, it's this mill that sits right on the Crystal River. It has a waterfall, it comes down and it was back off this, it's, everything said you need four wheel drive to get there. And it was this beautiful drive. And I was like, man, we have got, man, we gotta do that trip. I told my brother, I said, we gotta go to Crystal Mill. It's gonna be awesome. Well, that fell through. We went to Moab, Utah. Eh, I never really thought about it again. Five, five and a half years later, God, through some circumstances, says, hey, you're moving to Colorado. And I was like, uh-uh. <clears throat> he said, yeah, okay, we'll go to Colorado. So we came to Colorado, got moved in, started living life, working here, doing things. Pastor says, hey, you need to start getting ready for camp. And I'm like, camp, okay. I was like, where do we go to camp? He's like, oh, it's called Church Mountain Bible Camp. It's over in Marble, Colorado. And I'm like, Marble, I've heard of that. I'm like, where is, the, what is Marble? So I'm like, okay. So I look up Treasure Mountain, I get registration forms and I start looking around and I'm like, wait a minute. Just outside of Marble, Colorado is Crystal Mill. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's where we go to camp? You gotta be kidding me. No way. And man, my heart started beating. I was like, that's awesome. So we got ready for camp. We went to men's retreat. We drove pastor's truck. I was like, hey, if you don't know, the, the off-road, the trail and the road is called Lead King Basin. And it goes up and back into this valley. And I'm telling you, it is an amazing, it is beautiful. But you drive that and you come back around, right past Crystal Mill. And man, I'll be honest with you. I got out and I stood there looking at that mill. It's just a mill. It's just a river. The honest truth is it doesn't really mean anything. But I sat there and I was like, the Lord let me come here. The Lord gave me the desires of my heart because I said, okay, God, fine, I'll go, I'll do it. I'll let go of me, I'll, I'll separate, I'll make that choice, I'll let go. And God did something amazing for me, for me. Notice what God does here for Abram. After Lot was left, lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, westward. He says, do a 360, and everywhere you look, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Verse 16, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Ladies and gentlemen, here God does something. He makes a promise to Abram that only God can make. And ladies and gentlemen, God wants to do something in your life, but he can't do it until you let go. You can't, he can't do it until you let go and you let God do it, until you get out of the way. I couldn't help but think of verses like Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But get this, do you know what the context of that verse is? We quote that verse all the time, but my God shall supply all your need. Yeah, that's true. But the context of that verse is giving. You go back and read Philippians 4, 16, 17, and 18, and then get to verse 19. Paul is talking about people giving their money to God. 
And then he says, but my God shall supply all your need. Once again, it's letting go. It's getting out of the way so that God can do something. Psalm 37, verse 25, David said, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God wants to provide. God wants to do things in our life, but we have to get out of the way. Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God's people don't want. When God's people get out of the way and they let God work and they let God have his will and way, ladies and gentlemen, they don't want. They don't want. God wants to do something in your life, but what is it in your life that is keeping God from doing what he wants to do? What do you need out of your life? Not only do you have the promise of God, but I want you to notice this, the perspective of of Abram. In chapter 14, look at verses 22 and 23. Chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. So this is what happened. Lot went down into Sodom and Gomorrah, and this king came, these kings came down there, and they took Lot and all his stuff captive. They took all their belongings, all their wealth, all their riches. They took it all, and they're running away. And, Lot, and Abram has some, the Bible calls them trained servants. I think it was 300 men. I don't know what that means. I don't know how trained, I don't know if these guys were like Krav Maga, uh, Maga, Krav Maga, Krav Maga, like knife fighting, they all had M4s, they, you know, the whole nine, they're like ready to go in, infiltrate, take these guys out at night and never be seen, you know, like halo jumps, high altitude, low opening, the whole nine, they're like <laughs> coming in. I don't know. But what they do is they chase after them, they conquer those kings, get Lot and all of his junk and bring him back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they get back, the king of Sodom says, hey, thanks for what you did, take what you want. Take what you want. Notice what Abraham says in chapter 14, verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, listen to this, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. You know what our problem is? We want what the world has. We want to get ours. We want our share. And we want to get get it any way we can. And we want to do it. And you know what? Our focus isn't on God. Our focus is on stuff. And our focus is on us. And our focus is on everything else instead of God. And you know what Abram's perspective was? I don't need your stuff, world. I don't need what you can give me because I have a God who's the possessor of heaven and earth and I want it from him. Who do you want it from? You? Your friends? Your job? Your career? Or do you want it from God? Who do you want it from? Lot wanted it from himself. Lot didn't want it from God. Lot wanted it from Lot. The last thing real quick. So you have, the strife, you have the strife of life, you have the sights of life, you have the, submission, or the um, selections of life, you have the submissions of life, you have the supply of the Lord. I didn't give you that one, but that one was the supply of the Lord. And the last one, you have the submissions of life. You gotta make a choice to obey. Notice chapter 13 again, verse number 17. God said, arise, walk through the land and the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. 
So Abraham sat around and waited for God to give it to him. No. Verse 18. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in, the, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. You got to obey. You got to do it. You got to trust. You have to act. You have to put feet to your prayers. You have to get active. You have to do something. Listen, trusting God is not passive. Trusting God is active. It gets busy. It doesn't sit around and wait. It trusts God and it puts feet to it. It starts doing things. And that's what Abram did. Abram didn't sit there and go, well, God, I'm just gonna wait for you to pack up all my stuff and help me get down to uh, you know, Hebron. No. Can you imagine how difficult it was to pack up all of his stuff? I mean, can you imagine what it'd be like to move your house today? It is amazing as you get older how you just have so much junk. You ever realize that? You know, you're like, why do I have this again? You know, or you're like, where did this come from? You're going through boxes and you're packing stuff up. Or have you ever moved? And then when you unpacked, you're like, yeah, take that to Goodwill. We don't need that anymore. You're like, man, we haven't used this in 10 years. Just get, just get rid of it. Abram packs up and obeys God and does what God tells him to do. And ladies and gentlemen, that's where it starts. It starts by just saying, okay, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Okay, God, I'll get rid of whatever you want me to get rid of. Okay, God, I'll stop whatever you want me to stop. God, you just show me and I'll do it. That's where it starts. Let me ask you a question. Where are your feet headed? Where are your feet headed? Lot's feet were headed for destruction, for disappointment. Where are your feet headed? Are they headed towards the Lord? Or are they pointed at the world, the flesh, the lust of your eyes? Where are your feet headed this morning? May our feet be pointed to the Lord. May that be the direction we are heading. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for stories like Lot that warn us, that help us, that confront us and challenge our thinking. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today and they have something they need to get rid of or something they need to stop, something they need to give to you so that you can work in their life and that you can have your will and your way so that you can give them your best. Lord, I pray that they'd be willing to get rid of it and give it up. Lord, may our feet be pointed towards you. In your name we pray, amen.